Thank you for coming on the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KSADPress.com. I'm Danny Gooby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is back to the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 82, headlined by Paul Craig and Brandon Allen. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight, as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card. It's part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay to make your wallet fat. Plus, as you guys know and love, I'm giving you guys the interviews for this week. We've got three fighters fighting at UFC Vegas 82. I got Cal Machado, Chad and Helliger, and kicking off the show this week is Jose Johnson. So we're going to get to all that great content for you. But first, I have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, well, it's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Well, it certainly couldn't hurt. Game Up's not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape. And it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA molders, urban fitness freaks, peak bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole hawkers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hot seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Jose Johnson, who fights Chad and Helliger at UFC Vegas 82. That fight is on November 18th. So, Jose, I wanted to start uh, talking about the beginning of your UFC career. It's been a weird one. You had a bunch of fights canceled due to injuries and issues getting a fight. And then your first fight, you got no camp. You had to get on short notice against a dangerous opponent. What does it feel like now to kind of be settled in and getting like a real camp finally for your, your first fight here? Oh, man, it's truly a blessing, man. All of it's been a blessing, man. All the cancellations, everything um, has been a blessing because, honestly, it gave me time to, like, really reflect. I actually found out I had to have surgery. Um, It was a very beneficial beneficial surgery. So, all in all, man, I'm I'm excited for this upcoming fight, and I'm thankful for um, the time. I been I spent just being signed to the organization all in all. Well, that's awesome to hear. So you you found out you needed surgery. I I won't ask you to get into the details of your injury if it's something you're trying to keep you know hidden. But was it was it a long time nagging injury that you you had meant to deal with but hadn't really had the chance to? Oh, it wasn't an injury at all. It was actually my vision. Oh, okay. So yes, my vision, my vision uh, throughout my entire fighting career, uh, I've been fighting legally blind pretty much. Um, and this has fixed my vision to where I'm able to see perfectly now. So it's been very beneficial for me. That that's incredible. So you fought 
that entire time, because you, I mean, like, dude, you've you've had a long career, right? Like, you've been fighting for ten mm-hmm. ten years at this point. You've been fighting for ten mm-hmm. years, and that vision has always been that bad. Always been that bad. That's incredible. So I, I got to ask about the limitations of that, then, right? Because so when you're boxing, you see a shape in front of you for the most part. Is that like pretty much all we're working with? And do you do you also deal with this in everyday life? Do you have glasses? What what? How do you deal with it? Uh, pretty much just soft figures, and I wore contacts a lot of a lot of the time. Um, I, but I wasn't allowed to fight with my contacts, so I had to fight with my regular vision, and it wasn't well at all. <laughs> and, and so then I, I gotta ask too, then because I mean you're a guy, you're a guy who's gotten a fair amount of knockouts with your like precise ass striking, right? Like you, you're knocking dudes out with knees and elbows and punches, like. I mean, the vast majority of your record leading up until your UFC signing are knockouts. So how did you feel like you got around, like, barely being able to see where your opponent was? (laughs) I call it the daredevil effect. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds, sounds, and, and, yeah, just sounds and figures, pretty much, uh, distance and sounds. That's incredible. So now I, I got to ask. So you had this surgery uh, uh, before the Blackshear fight, after the Blackshear fight? It happened, it happened before the Blackshear fight, but it put me out for about a year before I actually had competition again. Honestly, I was a little rusty, uh, just kind of moved the whole family back across the country and was going through like just settling in and everything, not really trained the way I should have been. And they kind of hit me with that opportunity. And I was like, well, I can't pass up on the opportunity. I felt good in the fight. I felt strong. And I just made one mistake and threw a backwards elbow while he had my back taken. And um, a lot of him to slip his head through. And he pulled off a twister. And that was it. If that would never have happened, I think it would have been a really good fight back and forth. For sure, and obviously all of those things play a huge factor into it. But I want to I want to go back to the vision too because this is so intriguing to me. So we didn't get a big chance to see you strike in there, right? Because it was you know short notice, all those types of things, and it, it was a quicker fight. But I have a question: in the gym, how much better do you feel your striking is now that you can see you know what a normal person sees? Oh wow, significant! Even my coaches notice it. They said, like, before I would just kind of use, like, a blank stare when I'm, like, even when I'm hitting mitts, it was, like, a blank stare. I'm usually just literally going off distance of mine and now I see everything. You can see my eyes while seeing everything. And they said it looks like – and then I was actually sparring one of my uh, my coaches, and he was like, you're looking at me like I'm a math problem now. I dig that. I did. <laughs> and, and I'm, like, analyzing everything. It's exactly what it is. That's fantastic. So we're going to talk more about the striking and especially how that, that goes with Chad and Helliger in a second. But before we do, I'm a guy who loves MMA nicknames. So I got to ask you a question about yours. You know, there's a hundred bulldogs, there's a hundred bulldogs out there. There's, you know, 30 pit bulls and, you know, a whole bunch of hitman. There's one Lobo Solitario. Uh, and I got to know, you know, so obviously that that's the lone wolf, right? In Spanish. How, how did, how did you wind up with that nickname? Um, since I was born, it's been a fight in life, and I lost my grandma at a very young age, and my parents weren't there hardly ever, and I kind of have done life on my own, so what better than call myself than the lone wolf? Wolf is one of my favorite animals, uh, next to the elephant, 
um, because of how intelligent they hunt. So, and that's what I do when I fight. I intelligently hunt. And was that a nickname that you, you sort of gave to yourself as, as that's the like persona you've lived your whole life as? Everybody has always sort of called me a lone wolf. I'm in a category of my own. So it was just, why, why not put it into my, like my heritage, my culture, which is Spanish, uh, and Dominican and call it Lobo Salaterio. I dig it. I dig it. All right, so let's let's get to talking what everybody cares about, and that is this fight coming up. It is going to be a real interesting one because Shannon Helker has said he loves the matchup because he knows a guy is going to stand across the cage from him and swing with him. It's going to oblige him in a striking match. Is that something that you were anticipating here? Because I know, obviously, you got a little bit of that grappling going last time we saw you on Contender Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm anticipating the fight going wherever, to be honest. I've actually gotten extremely, extremely, extremely good at my grappling. Uh, my problem is I just don't be liking to defend takedowns at times, but I know it's something I definitely got to do. Um, but if we're down there, like, I feel super comfortable jiu-jitsu-wise. I know he's a very small guy. He's naturally a 125-er, and... I think I think that he thinks it's going to be like a fun time being able to fight a striker until he stands in front of me and he's never fought anybody as big as me and as precise as me with striking and I think it's going to be it's going to cause him a lot of issues honestly I think he's going to he's going to push a wrestling pace like he's talking to everybody like he's going to be striking he even tried to psych himself I think he's like trying to either hype himself up or like himself up into something by saying that I'm a point striker and I'm like, bro, I have like nine knockouts on my record. I don't, I don't know how, how I could be considered a point striker at that point. <laughs> but I mean, if you think we're going to point strike or I'm going to point strike you, it's a pretty, pretty um unintelligent game plan on my end. I mean, that I think, uh, so I, I, I think I think if he does try to stand and just strike with me, uh, he's gonna find himself in trouble real quick. He's gonna shoot a takedown real quick. And so in there, you you mentioned the size difference, and obviously you're used to being the taller fighter in like literally every fight you've had, right? Like not not too many guys out there shaped like you, but you're also not used to fighting a guy quite as short as he is, right? Because he's he's quite a bit shorter than your last opponent. Have you felt like you had to make adjustments for that kind of thing? Um, literally, the only way I see him getting any form of success against fighting, because I've had to fight guys who were taller, too, and they had a hard time finding me. And I've watched him fight guys who were shorter than him, and he had a hard time finding them. You know, he's got a 64-inch reach. He's 5'6", and he's tiny, man. It's like my kid's size. And <laughs> and I think it, I think it's just going to cause him a lot of – I think it's going to cause a lot of troubles. I've never <laughs> personally fought anybody that short. I've trained with people that short, but not fought them, and they had a hard time when they were training, when they were training against me. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I, this is usually how I like to end these uh, these interviews. So we've got a new and improved Jose Johnson can actually see what's in front of him for the first time mm-hmm. with a full camp fighting Chad and Helger. How's this one end on November 18th? 
I think that it will be a good fight, a great fight for the first two minutes, and then he'll drown. I'll either finish him in the beginning of the second or at the end of the first. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Jose Johnson, who fights Chad and Helliger at UFC Vegas 82. That fight, once again, November 18th. Jose, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. All right, and joining me today is Kai Machado, who fights Mick Parkin at UFC Vegas 82. That fight is on November 18th. So, Kyle, I want to start with your Contender Series fight, because you had that fight with Kevin Zaflarski. And, and, you know, for one of your fights, it seemed to be a little lower on action. You're usually a guy who has, like, an absolute banger of a fight. And I know some of that was Zaflarski, who just kept kind of, like, backing away from you the whole time. Was it frustrating in the moment? Was it was it weird? What like what what did that fight feel like at the time? It was a little bit weird. Uh, exactly like you said, I I feel a lot of the back and forth or the energy or find my space off of the counter striking. So I couldn't do. It's harder to keep an action fight and always be, be if I'm the only one trying to be busy. Uh, so uh, I was expecting more from Shaflarsky. Uh, the game plan was exploring a little bit when he was overextending and stuff. So when he came and just shut down, wasn't showing any offense, that it threw off my game a little bit. I had to adjust and keep moving forward. But like, it, it's hard to dance when someone don't want to be there. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm curious, too, because, you know, obviously the decision was clear-cut, right? Like he threw like four punches the whole fight. So you weren't worried about the decision, but were you worried about what the contract would be like when when it came time for Dana White to talk about it? Like a little bit, not gonna lie. Uh, I I tried to be as much confident as I could because I knew I did my part. I went there and I tried to be moving forward uh, through the entire through the entire fight, no matter if I was sore. If, like I messed up my foot pretty early in the second round, so uh, even moving was already. Um, was already getting uh, harder for me to follow him up, but I had to do what I had to do. I I think the numbers show like the difference on that that matchup, and it's like I what well, was my time? Uh, even like the was the most exciting fight. I knew I did my part. Absolutely, and and you know you mentioned you were a little bit nervous waiting to hear whether Dana White would give you a contract or not. So then you're sitting in that chair. He says your name. He says, "Get on over here." You know you're in the UFC. G- give me just a snippet. What did it feel like? Uh, it's just like it's it's hard to describe, but it's all the weight, all the work, everything that that we work to to that point comes together and you get that relief. Okay, we are into the next level. We are inside of the UFC. There's still a lot of work ahead, but we made it. We are here now. Um, the journey, the, we're going to start this new journey right now, and let's go. That's awesome to hear. Now, I got to ask, too, because last time me and you talked, a little bit before you were on the Contender Series, we talked about you being in school down in Brazil, you know, going for a, a pretty prestigious job and your parents maybe not being the most thrilled that their son suddenly wanted to change to being a cage fighter um, and, and move to Canada. I, I got to ask, you know, chance to show your parents that you were at the highest level. What what were their reactions to you being signed to the UFC? No, they, they, they are in the clouds. They, they've been very supportive, like, from the beginning. Like, wasn't their career they, they – likes me to have but 
I think uh, very early in my career when they figured they they realized oh he can actually make it make it uh, he was they were behind me my dad was actually in Vegas for the container fight he was so happy we got uh, I I got the win and I got the contract uh, they they still don't really like to watch me fighting they get really nervous but they be so supportive I can't complain at all. So, so your dad's in the stands, and, and you said he doesn't really like to watch it. Was he like? Did he say he was wincing? Was he turning away? Like, like how does he handle the the pressure of that situation and not liking to watch? He 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 says he tried to keep watching, but he turns away whenever I'm like on that fight it was a different situation because I never really got pressured. But every time someone is attacking me, did I I'm on my back or I'm getting it. Uh, Distract on. They usually look away or or close or close down. He said he always say like his stomach is start get start getting all start gets all messed up while he's watching me fighting or even when he gets close to it. But I think it worked out well. They were very happy. He was very happy with all the situation and was very nice to have him over there. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, I want to talk about your fight upcoming, because that's obviously why we're here. You're heading back to the Apex, which is interesting. But I got to get get your take on this first. You know, we're talking on, on Thursday, you know, November 2nd, two days before the UFC goes back to your home country, your original home country of Brazil. Is it hard that they didn't book your debut like a couple weeks earlier and, and get you on that Brazil card? So not just the Brazil card, but like they booked me right in a weird spot because like right after the Brazil card and two and too close to the uh, Toronto fight, uh, <laughs> Toronto card in January. So I, I can't, I could, I won't be able to fight in Brazil or Canada for the for my debut. Well, it would be like amazing. Like if I fought in Brazil, I would probably may maybe be able to do both, with, depending how the fight went. Yeah, and I was, I was going to ask you about Canada too. Like, was it if it were up to you and you could have either one, Brazil or Canada, which would be your preference? But again, I, I I like to be busy. I think I need usually like two weeks to recovery and not two two month camp, and that would be exactly the time I would have if I, uh, between both cards. So in a perfect world, with a win would be both cards. I, 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 I know for sure I can come back in around three months and get in the Brazil fighting um, on Friday, on Saturday and then come back for Toronto would be totally a possibility that I was, that I was uh, looking for. But let's see how it goes. Uh, Toronto is still up in the air, depending if I can score like a first-round knockout or something. Uh, who knows? But... I'm, I'm next, I know will be other opportunities to go either way, to, either to Brazil or Canada. Uh, I'm just excited to, to get my debut on and finally stepping uh, the octagon for as a UFC fighter. For sure. So let's talk about that fight. Now, you're fighting Mick Parkin, another guy who is on Contender Series as well. You know, he beat uh, another Brazilian, Eduardo Nevish, in his Contender Series fight. Has already made his UFC de- debut, beat Jamal Pogues, a guy who's, you know, sort of been well-traveled throughout the, the UFC and the regional scene. What, what were sort of your thoughts on Mick Parkin as your first opponent when they came to you with him? So just just another uh, fun fact about the fight. Uh, Pogos was my replacement on the Container Series last year. 
Oh, that's right. You when were that's right. You were supposed to fight Nevish, or while well, you were actually supposed to fight somebody else, and then Nevish. Yeah. Yeah, he was my replacement. So that's some other fun fact that I put uh, put uh, we all together on that on that part just to be there. But I, I, I like I like to see McFarling uh, fighting. I think he he has an interesting style. He's one of the one of the new that that new generation of heavyweights that moves pretty well. It's not one of those guy those one punch guys that always try to look for the haymakers and try to get on, a knockout. He's very strategic. He's gonna move well and and show his punches. But I think overall, I have more weapons on my game. I, I I see my especially my ground game is so underrated. People don't I like. I like to bang. That's why I don't go there as much. But I'm black belt. I come from BJJ, and who knows? Maybe to sub over there. I just know like with barking, I need to be aware. I need to. It's gonna be a good fight. It's gonna be a good pace. But I think I can. I, I have a little bit more power than him, and keep if I can keep the pressure, I'm gonna be. I'll be getting the win for sure. Well, you sort of led me right to my final question here, which is I usually like to get a prediction out of fighters before I let them go. So how's this one end come November 18th? Uh, I I believe it's going to be a sub, but uh, probably the second second round. I uh, again, Parking is, is a good fighter. He's well rounded, but I. I don't. From what I see, his ground game there wasn't a lot. He lives in spaces, and those spaces like to work around it, and he will live, he will live himself open to to get stuff right away. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Van Kai Machado, who fights Mick Parkin at UFC Vegas 82. That fight once again, November 18th. Kyle, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks. It was my pleasure. Anytime, and let's go. Thanks, man, and I'll make sure I tag you in social media and whatnot when this comes out. Thank you again for the time. Every time, I really appreciate it. For sure, I appreciate it. Thank you. It was very fun. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Jose Johnson and Kai Machado. I once again am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we obviously have to start this week by talking about Alex Pajeda. He wins the light heavyweight championship, becomes the ninth double champion in the history of the UFC and I've got to ask you does it feel like he's maybe one of the more legitimate double champions like he has a little bit more credibility behind that than a lot of the other ones uh yeah there is something more credible about him maybe because he's an incredibly scary man uh but you know Cejudo it felt like he did it with one foot out the door uh, and I don't want to take anything away from him beating like the goat at 125, you know, at the time. Um, but to me, like that division's always been like a little on the weaker side. Uh, but again, he beat the goat. So I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole, but, uh, he was gone, you know, right then and there. And with Connor kind of similar, right? Like he, uh, beats Eddie Alvarez to become double champ. And then we didn't see him again for two years. And then when we did see him, he got murked. So to me, Pajeda feels like a true double champ that could dominate. And actually, now that I'm even saying it out loud, it's ditto for Couture, who did it at age 44 on his way out, and ditto for Daniel Cormier, who did it on his way out. So we actually have someone in their prime that's a double champ. What about you? Yeah, and I would also just add, like, you know, to, to your point, like, Cejudo did that thing where he didn't really defend against anybody meaningful, right? Like, because he didn't defend the lightweight title. 
much like Conor McGregor didn't defend any of those titles. And he, he when he defended the Bantamweight title, it was against like a 150-year-old Dominic Cruz. So that one barely counted for me. And, and to your point about, you know, DC, not that I'm, I'm di- you know, discrediting what DC did too, but he also wasn't the best light heavyweight in the world at this time, right? Like he, he won the light heavyweight title while there was clearly somebody out on a drug suspension that didn't count, you know, and if we want to, you know, peel a couple more of these back, GSP's a double champ and he beat Michael Bisping one time coming out of retirement. You know, that's his only middleweight win. Amanda Nunes won a title in a division that didn't matter. Like th- there are... So few of them that you can't, like, poke and prod a few holes in. And while Alex Pineda hasn't gone through the process of defending it yet, you know, like, he hasn't at that level yet, it does feel like he's got a little bit more behind it than some of these people. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, GSP forfeited 17 days, I think, after winning that title. <laughs> so it was pretty much a joke. Um, I'll see what we're doing, though. And it's our honor. In fights, dogs, and parlays, we had a pretty good showing the last few weeks. We want to keep that going. And there's a fight card this weekend. Yay! It's UFC Vegas 82. So, Gumby, let's get into it. We'll break down a couple of fights, give a dog to play, a parlay to play for UFC Vegas 82, if you tell us who sponsors this edition. Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlay is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, it's no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape. It hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, one gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Ask for Game Up wherever wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. All right, so we have a very fun main event, in my opinion, despite what the odds may say. Brandon Allen's a minus 425 favorite. Uh, Paul Craig is a plus 330 dog. Allen is on a heck of a run. Since losing to Chris Curtis back in December of 2021, he's reeled off five wins in a row, four by rear naked choke. And the UFC, I love the way the matchmakers work here, said, oh, you think you're a submission guy? Well, we're at least going to throw Paul Craig at you, who's a bit of a submission specialist himself, uh, and it's going to be a main event, and Paul Craig's coming off a win himself over Andre Muniz via TKO. Uh, so, you know, he's a dog, but he's a fun dog. Who you got? I'm actually going with Paul Craig in here, and I know he's a huge underdog in this fight, but, like, let, let's face a couple of things. First of all, Paul Craig had a little bit of trouble at light heavyweight. And that was his biggest issue, I think, was that it was at light heavyweight. Because when he ran into Volkan Ozdemir, or, you know, you even want to count the Johnny Walker fight, he wasn't big enough. He wasn't strong enough to kind of wrestle those guys. And when he was able to wrestle any of the people in the division, he beat him. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, you know... TKO'd, but technically submitted Jamal Hill, who was the champion for a brief moment. He also triangle choked Magomed Ankalaev, who is a guy who might be fighting for the title soon in that division as well. Like, this is a guy who held his own at light heavyweight, despite having some size and strength disadvantage, and in his lone fight at middleweight, looked phenomenal. All of a sudden, his wrestling was playing up, his jiu-jitsu was good enough to fight maybe the best jiu-jitsu guy in the division, his ground and pound looked excellent. And not for anything, like, you know, Brendan Allen, really great fighter. I think Brendan Allen is a phenomenal fighter. But as you mentioned, he's winning fights back to back to back to back times with rear naked chokes. Is he going to be able to rear naked choke Paul Craig? Absolutely not, in my opinion. This is a fight where he is going to have to go into the deep waters, fight a submission specialist maybe where he's best, 
And and at plus three thirty, I can't imagine leaving that price on the table for Paul Craig. What do you think past the three like had to go the best? Are you leaning towards Paul Craig via mission and regret scramble type thing? Or do you just think Paul Craig edges out a decision? I think Paul Craig can out-wrestle him. So what I saw out of Paul Craig at light, or uh, at middleweight in his debut was his wrestling plays up. Like, we always thought he had kind of shitty wrestling, but I think kind of the fact of the matter is, is he was just not a 205-er. You know, wrestling those 205-ers that look like Volkan Ozdemir was not easy for him. So I think he could out-wrestle him. I also think he could submit him. I don't think he's going to win on the feet, but you know what? He's won a couple of times by TKO and kind of surprised us, right? Like, I'll never forget missing out on a bet because I had Paul Craig by submission against uh, Shogun and he TKO'd him on the mat. So, like, I could see him doing all those things with Brendan Allen, and I could especially see Brendan Allen just kind of getting tired in that kind of fight with Paul Craig. Yeah, I'm, I don't I think where my mind goes is, whatever, especially recently, because. I think grappling's been so neutralized in the UFC and the rules just obviously themselves more towards always being a stand-up. More of a tradition, uh, and that's not to say some like very special people like Islam Makhachev or obviously like a Khabib can dick fights around. I just find when two matchups that are like two wrestlers or two jiu-jitsu guys cancels each other out, you're going to end up like, you know, guys just standing which is always ironic but what i say was i don't mind the play of uh i don't love craig it does the dog. i mean if you got money and you need a burn why not um i think to head i still Alan, but uh i do like a like a prop for both so depends on i kind of like playing with a for both of them, uh, just based on the history. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right. Uh, Michael Morales is a minus 290. Rejected is a plus 235 dog. Matthew coming off in Vera, choke various floors. Lost for that, one before that, lost for that, two and two, last four. That was after reeling off a three-fight win streak and looking like a can't-miss prospect, but it's been kind of bumpy for Jake Matthews. How he finds himself plus 35 plug, to a guy who is uh, 19 and 9 his uh, pro career but uh, 3-0 in UFC and uh, that to me is somewhat exciting he has not lost excuse me he's 15 and I was like, what am I looking at but Michael Miles 15 in his pro career and 2-0 in the UFC and a favorite he who you got? I'm going to go with Michael Morales. I, I think he's, uh, I think he's a dangerous play at this price. Like I, I'm, I'm not enthused by paying almost three to one odds to get Michael Morales here, but I do think he's a better fighter than Jake Matthews. Like I, I think he's more dynamic on the feet. I do wonder about how hittable he is and what his takedown defense is going to look against a step up in competition. Cause that's what this is. A big step up in competition for a very young fighter. We always worry about those, so I, I don't love the the line here. But gun to my head, I think he's just more dynamic. I think he's faster than Jake Matthews, and, and I think his grappling will hold up enough. Cooper's a minus twenty five favorite, plus one five dog. Cooper one and one uh, his last fights, two and two in the last four fights, three and three in the last six fights, and win one, lose 
paper that I think Lucy Marchine wanted to get behind at the very beginning. Um, but it's not been, you know, all rose for him. Let me stretch his imagination. He is coming off a TKO win over Victor Martinez. Um, excuse me, coming off a win for Nick Floyd. That coming off a win off of Victor Martinez. Also been road two and two in his last four. So two guys who need wins, coming off of wins, and to make it in a row. Yeah. I'm going to go with Chase Hooper, because like you mentioned, we've seen kind of variable results from him, but I really liked seeing in that last fight when he fought Nick Fiore. He moved up to lightweight. He's clearly put on weight and made the intention of putting on weight. And in that fight, we saw him start to round out his boxing. He started to do things to make himself a more complete fighter. And when you look at Jordan Levitt, I'm still not really buying Jordan Levitt as a like complete fighter. He still seems like uh, kind of a grappler with a you know a little bit of hands, but he's going to be the much shorter guy here. You know he's only five foot nine at lightweight, whereas Hooper is six foot one. You know Hooper's reach is seventy five and a half inches. Jordan Levitt's only seventy one. So we're going to see a guy who's starting to really come around with his boxing and has a huge height and reach advantage versus a guy who doesn't. And if it hits the mat. I think you're going to see Hooper just a touch better. I think he's just a little bit craftier in terms of his, like, pure jujitsu. So, you know, again, I- I'm going to lean to Chase Hooper here, and I-, I think uh, I think he should be maybe even a bigger favorite. Our official dog of the week, Lucy Pudalova, plus 160. Yeah, I love Lucy Pudalova in this spot, both because I love Lucy Pudalova and because I'm not a big fan of Aileen Perez. Aileen Perez, she's got one win in her UFC career, and it came against Ashley Evan Smith coming off of a three-year layoff and a three-fight losing streak. Like, not really anything to write home about, and everybody's talking about her like she's some great wrestler. I just don't buy it, and I think Lucy Pudalova, you know, we've seen her do some excellent work in the clinch after stuffing takedowns. She throws mean elbows, so seeing her at plus 160 here, I feel like is a little bit of a steal. Uh, the parlay to play is Chase Hooper, the aforementioned, a minus 225, and term together. Rafia Estevez, a mile on 30, you get your plus 150 odds, break that down. Yeah, so I already talked about really loving Chase Hooper's boxing and his, uh, his, his overall body development. So that one's an obvious one at negative 225. And I'm going to pair that with Estevez, who is fighting Charles Johnson. I, I know a lot of people forgot about Estevez from his performance on Contender Series because it was a whole year ago. And I think that's why we see him as only a slight favorite here. But the fact of the matter is his wrestling, his scrambling, and his jiu-jitsu just looked incredible in that fight. And it was against a guy in Joel Elias, who is a really good grappler. Now he's going to be fighting Charles Johnson in his debut, who grappling has just kind of been his the bane of his existence. You know, he got taken down 11 times in his last fight against Cody Durden. I don't know that Estevem is going to do that, but I think with the scrambling being as good as it is, I think Estevem is going to have a pretty easy night. So let's pair those two together and get plus 151. Boom. We hope you enjoyed this insights dog. Let us know if we did right or did you with these ads up on the main social media. We're parking here. Let's go. What should yeah. All right, well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Chad Ann Helliger, who is fighting this weekend against Jose Johnson. And we are going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Chad Ann Helliger, who fights jo- Jose Johnson at UFC Vegas 82. That fight is on November 18th. So, Chad, I wanted to start here. You know, it's been 14 months since we've seen you in the UFC cage. 
Do you want to give us a little update? What's it been like in that time away? You know, bumps and bruises, cancellations, all that good stuff. Yeah, man, it's been time away, but it hasn't really been time away because I, I haven't been in the UFC cage, but I've been in our Champions Creed cage almost every day. So uh, I didn't miss any training. I was out. Um, I tore something in my shoulder in my last fight, my Alatang versus Alatang. And uh, it just took a long time to get to fully repaired. Like it healed fairly quick and I could get back into training, but it wasn't enough to take a fight, do a fight camp. So I just kind of did what I could do in that time, which was focus on my jujitsu, focus on technique. I was doing my boxing. I was still doing everything I normally do. I just kind of, I was still even doing my MMA sparring. I just couldn't quite push it to the limit that I needed it to. So it just took time. Shoulders are like that. You know, it took like six, seven months. Um, and I actually did a full training camp for Vancouver card because I expected kind of, even though I didn't get an offer, I kind of thought last minute they were going to want me to get on there or something. And I wanted the ability to say yes. So in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't because I wouldn't have been ready, but uh, I did a hard training camp for that. And uh, I, I was in shape and even though the call didn't come, I was really motivated and I kind of already knocked off any, any rust. So when I jumped in, I just kept that training rolling and then ended up getting this one in November. So, I mean, uh, I'm feeling great. I don't think at all about being away from the cage. I'm, I'm good to go. Well, that's great to hear. Now, I do want to ask about the shoulder a little bit because you said you heard it in the Haile Alatang fight. So, was that a big piece of, did it happen early in the fight? Was it something that was, you know, sort of nagging you before the fight? Did it affect the fight pretty heavily? No, I wouldn't use it as an excuse. Um, I didn't even really notice it till after the fight. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that as an excuse for that fight. You know, that fight, um, but what I will say is, again, I don't like to use excuses as my disclaimer, but uh, I broke my nose early in the first round. Um, and it was just a simple hook I was trying to pull back on and it hit the side of my nose and just one of those like half an inch the other way type of things I would have not got hit and it took me a long time to recover from that there's a lot of pain and pressure in the nose and in between rounds that was something new for me to deal with by the time I kind of shook that off got back in the fight I started winning the fight the, the second half but the damage had been done and I, and I was too far behind to still pull that one off but I took away a lot of positives because I actually still think I'm better than him and I know I could beat him uh, but the way it went down, the way that nose broke break happened, uh, it was too much to overcome that night. But I left feeling pretty happy with myself that I got through it and I still fought great. So uh, I'm good to go. Yeah, it was an excellent fight too. And, and I was going to ask you about, you know, sort of taking what was kind of a tough loss because you did battle back so well at the end there. It is your first loss in eight years. And, and granted, like you said, you came away feeling good and you've been doing time in the, the cage. But has it been frustrating sort of like not getting that back you know like not being able to go back and and right the wrong more quickly not really it didn't really weigh on me that much you know like sometimes a loss really hangs over you and you need to get another win or you need to get back in there to get rid of it but i prepared well and fought great and you know i i didn't win but it's not going to uh derail me or or my my mission i'm still on track and i'm still doing the right things in the gym it's not like i need to go back to the drawing board and completely erase and start over I did a lot of good things. I know I can compete with the best guys in the world, and I just need to uh, make sure I execute. So, no, I was feeling good. I don't need to, uh, you know, jump right back in there for my own confidence or ego. I, I know what I can do, so I I'm going to get in there and show it. Awesome. And we're going to talk about what you're going to do showing it come November 18th. But before I do, I got to ask you, too, about, you know, you mentioned wanting to be on that Vancouver card, wanting to get a Canadian fight. We then have a Canadian card that gets announced two months after they do finally give you a fight, right? You get to fight November 18th, but we're we're going back to Canada in January. 
was that kind of a bummer when you found out that they were going back to Canada and it would be a razor close turnaround or, or mentally are you thinking I got to get in there and get out quick so I can get back in January? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I don't mind doubling down, you know, if I get a great fight and I, and I knock out Jose and I'm feeling great, and I want to do a quick turnaround. The opportunity I think will be there for me. And if I want to take more of a break and wait till they come back to Calgary, <laughs> I'm not really too, to uh, torn up either way. One thing, you know, I've learned in this fight game, I've been doing it for a long time. I've been fighting professionally for a really long time is, uh, yeah, you can't get too hung up on dates or places or people because it just changes all the time. So when you have a fight, something's in front of you, you know, a fight in the hand is worth two <laughs> calendar later. So I'm just happy to get back in there. And that's a good point too, about you having been in the game for a really long time. You know, you had a long regional career, you know, lots of layoffs, lots of canceled fights, all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, obviously it's helping you now be the sort of the person you are being able to take things in stride. What was it like as the time when you were, you know, when you were coming up through the regional ranks, you seemingly, you know, you won a dozen fights in a row or something like that. Was it hard to not be getting this call earlier than you did? Or, or are you happy that it sort of worked out the way it did? Uh, you know, I, I have to be happy the way it worked out. If anybody that starts out in MMA, if they find themselves in the UFC, they they definitely done something right. That was just my path, I guess. You know, um, I uh, it took me a long time, but I don't think it would have happened any other way. Um, when I I started off with my bad record, and the UFC kind of really wasn't much of a goal for me anymore. I just wanted to, you know, be competitive and fix my record up. And then I started winning more and more and more, and I started realizing I could make it. And it's just like your motivations change along the way in your journey. And it's like all of a sudden that pressure of needing to keep that win streak alive is what kept me in the gym so diligently for every fight. Even though these are guys fighting regionally that I was pretty confident I could beat. I was a lot better than them. I was already champion. And uh, I had, you know, experience and win streak. But I still had to get up and get that training camp done properly because I knew how much was riding on it, which was the UFC. So, you know, the way it all worked out, it kept me motivated, kept me focused. And even now, uh, getting into the UFC and getting my first loss, like things were going great. I, I, I made my debut. I got a knockout win. And it's like, yeah, what else does a guy want? But then I lost. And now I, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, why I'm here and what my goals are. And I have bigger goals than just being in the UFC. I want to do great. So, uh, yeah, the motivation, I just keep finding new ways to, uh, to keep me motivated, whether it's through my own process or it's just kind of handed out to me. But the... Uh, the motivation is always there. It's just com coming in different ways. Well, and that next step towards greatness is November 18th. And you're going to be fighting a guy in Jose Johnson, who is maybe the oddest shape for your weight class that you could possibly find, right? He's six foot tall in this weight class. Super, super, super skinny. You know, very odd, you know, kind of guy to have to figure out how to attack. Have you been doing anything particularly in camp? Is there somebody who's trying to mimic Jose Johnson for you? Like, what what are you doing to get ready for, you know, maybe the oddest shape in this division? Yeah, I've just been snapping a lot of broomsticks over my knee. <laughs> like that. <laughs> no, it, um, it, it's not that different for me. As a smaller guy, shorter guy, I spent my life fighting bigger guys, whether it was in training, whether it was when I played hockey. It was just like, that's always been what it is. So finding somebody taller is easy that they're they're all there <laughs> they're just bigger you know i so saw all my whole training camp has been with bigger guys they, they have the height so i can i can feel that out properly um not a, a lot of people had that 
uh, weight to go with it, but they have more. So it's all good, right? It gives me the good training I need. And it, it really doesn't change much, like the height thing. It, of all the things in a fight, there's so much ahead of how tall somebody is. You know, their skill, experience, timing. Uh, there's the, um, uh, you know, the game planning. There's even strength is above height. Height is probably the bottom of the barrel when it comes to attributes for a fight. I, I don't care about it. And there's pros and cons to both. So he's got some pros with the range. Uh, I've got some pros being inside with some power. It's like, it, it doesn't get in my head at all, but we do, we made a couple adjustments just even when I'm hitting my pads and stuff, they're just holding them a little bit higher, you know, just a couple of small details, but you know, I, it really doesn't get in my head much, this whole height thing. I, I think uh, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want. So. And so you mentioned in there skill, obviously in, in skill set and what he likes to do is way higher on that list of things that you pay attention to. So when they gave you the name Jose Johnson, give us a little insight. What did you think of his skill set and how it compares to yours? You know, I'm probably overthinking it. I do this a lot, but uh, the UFC, I had a few offers while I was injured too. They didn't really know the extent of my injury. I didn't really know either. And it continued to be these exciting striking matchups so it's become clear to me what they want from me so i know what i bring to the table i bring an exciting fight i'm not afraid i'm not going to back down i like to uh you know throw heavy hammers too so uh i think from what i've been picking up is that that's what they're expecting and that's what they want and i'm going to be i'm going to do my side to deliver that and I, i'm pretty sure jose is the right dance partner for that too just watching his fights he's exciting dynamic striker has a lot of success there we're both capable everywhere I just got my black belt two days ago from my coach, so uh, I'm pretty pumped about that. A little mini shout-out to myself. Um, so I, I can certainly grapple if we want to grapple, but uh, I feel like this is going to be one of those really exciting back-and-forth fights uh, happening on the feet, but it also, you know, adding in its MMA, and uh, it's going to really be exciting. Also, the the this whole height thing, I actually see it as, like, a benefit to the fight because it's just an extra entertainment value. That's what mm -hmm. people want to see. So I, uh, for me, that jumps off the paper like great. People are going to want to tune in. People are going to talk about it. Uh, you know, when 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 I knock them out, it's going to look you know even better than than just knocking on somebody your own height. So yeah, uh, I I, I think it's an awesome fight. When I saw it, I, I was really pumped about it. So so you you tipped your hand a little bit because I usually like to end these things with a prediction. You sort of already gave it to me, so give it to me a little bit more clearly. How do you see this one ending come November eighteenth? Yeah, I'm pretty confident I can hawk, knock out Jose. Uh, if I don't, I've got lots of other weapons uh, to wear him out and take him out. So whether he wants to get finished on the ground or he thinks he has a striking advantage over me, I think he's going to regret that decision. So uh, I got the power. I'm sure I'm going to be able to knock him out. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This is Ben Shannon Helliger, who fights Jose Johnson at UFC Vegas 82. That fight once again, November 18th. Chad, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. You bet. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Game Up Heart Hydration, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Danny Gibby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.